Up next on episode 30 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Richard White of UserVoice.com. They discuss software bug and feature tracking, Web 2.0 style, from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. How do we, we usually we don't start do a lot these of shows? editing typically? Cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the usual? For those listeners at home, uh, to Stack Overflow podcast number thirty, we have a special guest today, Richard White. Richard White of User Voice, and the reason reason we invited him on. Uh, was because we use his tool, User Voice, on Stack Overflow. It is our de facto feature slash bug tracking tool, although there's some controversy about whether it is, in fact, a bug tracking tool or not. Um, and I, yeah, I personally like it a lot. I mean, it matches my mental model of, of what I want to do much closer than a lot of other stuff I've tried. So, Richard, I know we've done this a couple times, but if you could just talk about the genesis of user voice, like where did it come from? Uh, how did it come about? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, so I, I'm kind of a, a, a back-end guy turned front-end guy, and uh, that process was especially painful when I actually had to listen to a bunch of the users. Um, <laughs> we were doing a startup called Kiko. It was an online calendar a couple years ago. Kiko? Uh, Kiko. Kiko. Kiko, oh, the calendar thing. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I, I was the lead designer on that. Um, and my day, at, after launch, my day looked like spending half of my day reading blog comments and message board posts and emails and all these things about what you should do. Um, that, that's partly a commentary on, on how much of a, a tar pit doing calendaring is, um, but also just kind of a, a failure of feedback system. So we were actually working in the same room as the guys from Reddit, who I think were on here last week. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, oh, that's cool. Maybe we can have people vote up the ideas. And I think they even tried that at like a feature.reddit. Um, and I don't think it quite works. And, well, don't and things on Reddit like... I mean, on Reddit, don't things sort of like sync after they like you, 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 people could put something up on Reddit, but it would rapidly disappear. I, there are two fundamental right. There are two fundamental problems. One is that like the their algorithm is based on like news, so things you know spike and they fall and they disappear. Right. Um, and the other thing is you just vote up a million things that you want. Um, and it's funny. So I think at, around the same time, I was actually reading Joel. I was reading one of your articles talking about giving developers like yeah you know, fifty dollars to spend on line items and. Mm -hmm. uh, for like your next release kind of thing. Um, and so that was actually put those two ideas together, and that's really where each voice came from, this concept of, you know, let's have people like vote up ideas, kind of like Reddit, but it's more long-running discussion, so let things stay on the top longer, but force people to only choose like the top three things they're interested in. What, um, what's the difference? I mean, if they choose everything, they, then their vote is effectively ineffective. Why not just let them vote for as many things as they want? So, like, a good example of this is, like, uh, a competing solution from Salesforce that they have on Starbucks. And, like, the number of ideas are, like, lower your price. Uh, I think on the Dell one, it was, like, Linux laptops. It's basically the most popular things will rise to the top rather than the intersection of popular and important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, like, 90% of the people that come to user voice will give you one idea, and the other 10% will, will spend every single vote we give them. Um, so the goal is to kind of, you know, flatten out that kind of, uh, flatten out kind of that priority a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what we do with our with our system. In fact, I'm very envious of what you guys have done on, on Stack Overflow with your reputation system. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to hopefully doing a little more with ours to kind of incentivize people kind of moving in the right direction. You know, here's a few votes for this, a few votes for that, et cetera. Et cetera. So, so they could like anyways, turn, they could like earn more votes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I know there's probably another discussion you're probably going to berate me about OpenID, but one of our things is we're also trying to just lower the threshold. And so we want to use kind of the votes as kind of like a, some breadcrumbs to lead people along. Like, you know, here's a few votes, give an idea, give us your email, here's a few more votes, uh, you know, tell something about you, here's a few more votes kind of thing. Or reward people that are, that are really like active contributors and stuff like that. So um, 
it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's a currency kind of, 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 of influence, if you will. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's really cool to be on here today just because, like I said, this is kind of, you know, I think I told Jeff this a while ago. I was, like, really psyched when, uh, when Stack Overflow started using it simply because, you know, two guys on the call are, you know, I think you're our biggest account, Stack Overflow, and, and, and Joel, you're, you're one of the main reasons we're even doing this. So, um, oh. <laughs> totally on here. Uh, and, and I do actually have actually been pulling up some stats on your usage because you do have a very atypical usage of, of user voice, which I think is actually really cool. Um, we can talk about it at some point, but what, um, yeah. Before, before we go into that, I have a question. Yeah. Didn't we? Uh, uh, what did you major in in college? Me? Yeah. Computer science. Oh, did you take <laughs> any political science classes or political philosophy? Or no, oh, no, okay. I didn't. So I was just thinking about you know we we have uh, most modern democracies are not actual democracies; they're representational democracies, right? And that's not really an optimization. Uh, that's not really just a, a matter of convenience because it's impractical to have direct democracy. Although some people, <laughs> I think live in California. Is. I'm very well well aware of the <laughs> downfall of democracy at this point. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, exactly. But but it's just that direct democracy is sort of so. So does that? How does that influence your thinking on user voice? Like it's um, sort of a non-representational yeah. thing, and you wind up. I mean, if you. If you really created a software product and then literally only implemented the things that people voted for, right? When, so this is so there's, the there's, like? there's really like there's a, there's the couple third rails of user voice. Uh, one of them is one of them is like things like OpenID. One of them is, is are things like bug tracking. Is this for bug tracking? And the third one is do I am I beholden to this? Right? Mm. Am, am I at is this is this the the like the California like uh, you know. Uh, ballot propositions, you have to do what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, we actively say no, right? It's an input, right? And it's, a, you know, the reason I built this, because I would spend so much time just trying to put this data together to have kind of a, a panel of, here's what our users are saying, and as much as possible, try to try to make it more actually uh, democratized than, you know, here's what the 10% of the people that are shouting the loudest are saying. Right, right. Um, but, no, I, I surely consider it like, um, we, we actually have another project uh, called Sometime Around, and it, sometimes it's just good as triage. I mean, the nice thing is people know that they can put stuff up there, and even if I don't respond to it today, it's safe. You know you can get to it. You know that other people can. It's not going to like Reddit or the other things fall off the front page. It's kind of there. As so it's a, a pacifier a for your complaining users. <laughs> you can be like, it's <laughs> yeah. all right. We know about that. It's on, it's on a list. <laughs> well, that's it's true of all. Wait, wait, wait. That's true of all bug tracking systems. I mean, there's way more quote-unquote bugs yeah. than there are time to ever do them, yeah. right? So that's just a standard thing that happens. Uh, it's clearly a, it's a pacifier of both users and and people like ourselves running things, right? Um, it, it keeps everyone kind of like, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's just it's a good record, right? It's a much better record than message boards or blog comments or emails or whatnot. Is there, um, the, other thing, the other thing I really like about uh, user voice. And again, I, I have a sort of a weird way of using it, so I'm not saying this is typical, but to me, the part of the value proposition of user voice is that it totally blurs the line between features and bugs, which I think was kind of non-existent to begin with. I mean, sure, there are things that are clearly bugs, like, oh, I click this and the app crashes, right? I get an error page. That's clearly right. a bug. Right. But there's very few of those in the big scheme of things. Not that our code is that great, mind you, but there's just not that many things that are just, you can definitively say, that's clearly a bug. There's That's because you don't, uh, Jeff. You're lot. just saying that because you're not tracking bugs. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the bugs are the easy part. It's the no, features no, no, no. that are actually more interesting to users, and the things that they want to they want to build the app with you, essentially. And that's where, particularly for a site like Stack Overflow, when you want, yeah, to the extent that you have a conversation with your users, unless there's a literal bug that's stopping them from getting their work done, you're right. They probably do care more. You know, all the bugs that have workarounds, they don't care about, but you do. You probably want to fix them. But they'll just work around them. Well, not always, though. I mean, there's some bugs. Can. Like, for example, we had a long-standing bug on pagination, which occasionally yeah. <laughs> the pagination algorithm will sort of number things a little bit wrong. Okay. And like every two weeks, somebody opens a new user voice item about this, and I don't, I don't decline it because it's a valid bug. Sometimes I'll say, okay, this is a duplicate, but it's just it's really low priority because it doesn't break the app. It doesn't keep you from doing what you need to do. But on the other hand, we have a community of programmers who are like super anal. <laughs> and this is a good thing usually. I'm not complaining because they'll keep you on your toes. And they, keep so you they on. notice those things and they just keep... They notice like them. the littlest tiny details. And that's good because 
I don't know. The thing I found with with user voice is that it's it's very low friction to use, minus the OpenID thing, which obviously we'll get into. Um, <laughs> so let me look. This is just, in, a, just for fun. There's almost no input. I mean, you just type something in, and you know it does a preemptive search for you, which is the main thing, and then you're off to the races, which I love. Let's go over. Let's go over some of the things that we have on here. We have uh, uh, OpenID. Change your OpenID is our number one thing right now. Subscribe and unsubscribe to questions is not should be allowed with email. You should be able to get an email. Uh, these are the, the, it's kind of interesting because the the things that I see on, on user voice are not ac- our actual priorities. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to realize are, maybe these are our priorities. These are our users' priorities, but they're not our our priorities. That's the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're trying to find the intersection of those two things, and the other thing you got to realize is this list is really picked over. We went through a phase. How long have we been out now? For three months almost? Gosh, somebody Twittered me. It had been 100 days mm. a couple weeks ago. Um, we've really tried to implement all the top items on the list. So this mm. list is pretty picked over at this point. All the really big name items, like, hey, you need to have RSS. Um, a lot of the really major requests have been satisfied. So we're starting to get down into the, the B team of requests at this point. <laughs> One of the things I actually kind of like about user voice that it taught me is something it confirmed a bias that I've always had, which is that if you ask your users for feature input, uh, you, get, um, you get stuff that you probably knew about or you could have figured out, which is okay. I mean, that's not the goal of user voice. The goal of user voice, I assume, is to let people vote on it and figure out what's important and what's, you know, to prioritize those things. You very, very rarely does somebody invent something that surprises you. Um, and what you, what you generally don't get is the big, awesome new inventions that you're going to invent. You don't really get that from the users of your product. Right. Well, no, it's, it's usually, it, it's, I, I assume it's, it's like, you know, tacking the ship it's, it's, instead of kind of plotting the whole course. Right. 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 Um, so like some, some of the things, yeah, yeah. one of the biggest things we did in Fogbook 7 was evidence-based scheduling. And, you know, we never heard anything from any customer, even remotely like suggesting, why don't you do a Monte Carlo simulation to figure out when I'm going to ship? You know, that's just not the thing a customer is going to tell you. Well, once we did it, of course, it's, you know, it's now our flagship feature practically. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the real value here is putting everyone in the same room so you at least have that input. I mean, it's easier to aggregate, I think, what your top priorities are within your team, right? And the whole value is being able to then, here's top priorities to your users and to be able to push it back to them. Like the number one problem we had was not only could I – it was hard to get the you know who was interested in this, but then to keep track of all the people that were interested in it and follow up with them individually was an extreme pain point. But I mean, to your point, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I, I would never try to bamboozle anyone to thinking that this will help you innovate your app. It will help you kind of like smooth out the rough edges and, and kind of see where people, you know, what kind of obvious gaps there are and like your interactions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. No, I, I haven't seen anything like two two game breaking at this point but I, I kind of liken it to kind of you know it's like uh, it won't do the 80% of the heavy lifting of innovation but it'll help you get that last 20% of smoothing out the rough edges um, and, and too I think some of these characteristics you're describing Joel yeah. uh, would be true if I think any bug tracking system where you let users freely enter stuff you're going to get a lot of noise yeah well I, it's really I'm not, I'm not using that as a criticism I'm just pointing out that uh, you, 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 it really is like you really don't want to let your users drive all of your development on a product. Well, does anyone actually your product, do that though? That's kind of a straw man. I mean, can you name a product where like they let the users design every part of it? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's that the even... agile. That's the agile method, right? Isn't it? Well, it's a priority Isn't list. It extreme I mean, programming. Agile. I don't know. I think in extreme program, the extreme programming people would say that yeah, you let your users tell you everything that you're you're going to do. It, well. No, no, no. It's still a collaboration. It's a, it's the users plus the development team plus the, the people writing the paychecks, right? Mm. You negotiate what the top features should be. And everybody has, you know, skin in the game, theoretically. And that's the way I understand it. But um, Okay. Strong. Well, hey, uh, uh, Richard, tell us about Obama CTO. Who did that? Was that <laughs> just that just somebody stuck that on there or was that your idea? That was... That was, well, it's kind of funny. One of the guys on the team here had an idea to do something like that. We actually did, like, uh, we did Mm -hmm. change.uservoice.com. And we got a few hundred people on there. um, But nothing like, uh, I guess maybe that seeded it. Because the last, all of last week, we spent scaling out to handle, like, insane amounts of political usage. Um, 
we had before even Obama, the Obama one, we had uh, rebuildtheparty.com, which is like redstate.com and all the, the Republican side of things, like putting together, uh, you know, putting together kind of like a, a site for how should we fix the Republican Party. Um, <laughs> you can imagine who shows up to that party first. Um, the Ron Paul guys go nuts. Uh, <laughs> and, and, Ron I mean, Paul. I want to get that. Ron, right. I, I was seriously, I, I had this, I tweeted this the other week. I'm like, Ron Paul is the new slash dot effect. <laughs> like this uh, for, for politics. I mean, it was just insane. I, he, he's still number one on that forum ideas dot rebuild dot com. Um, last Monday we had then uh, Fark got a hold of this, um, and, and so here's the second stage effect. Anytime someone figures out the Republicans are doing something online, I feel like Fark shows up or someone shows up and they vote up. Uh, truck nuts for everyone was on the top of the list of that forum. Truck um, nuts. We're, we're, truck nuts. Uh, uh, you know, familiar with truck nuts, Joel? They don't have many of those in New York, I imagine. I, um, <laughs> okay, I'm so out of it. I only just found out about that puppy cam last night. That's how behind oh. I am. Um, what uh, is a truck? Uh, what are truck nuts? Uh, they are diecast brass balls for your truck. Put on oh, your I've seen those. Yeah. Your um, All right, we don't even have trucks in New York City, so <laughs> exactly. Um, anyways, so that that went that just went crazy as well. Um, it, 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 you know, at, at its core, user voice is basically just ask an open-ended question and people vote it up. Obviously, mm-hmm. we try to, we kind of, we're of the opinion that we're trying to use this for, you know, company-customer-type relationship thing. Um, but we had interest in these cases like that. Uh, the funny thing is, so then they, someone else set up ObamaCTO.org, um, mm-hmm. and they did all the legwork of uh, kind of promoting it. And it ended up on Boing Boing and, like, CNET News and just all over the place. Yeah. Um, and uh, which was really good for us. I mean, it, it's it's positive for us to see that some. I mean, basically, the value they got out of it is they kind of got a free banner ad. They slapped Obama CTO at the top of the page and the name of their web dev company, Front Seat, and you know they got to make themselves part of the narrative. You know, I actually the, thought, yeah. I, I, at first, I thought, hey, that's a great promotion for user voice. <laughs> right, right. And, and, I thought you guys were doing it. That, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's great that we didn't have to do anything for it, right? It's 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 a good it's good warm fuzzy feedback for me that people are, are naturally incentivized to just use the platform to you know even promote their own stuff alongside ours, and we obviously get some some referral stuff off of that. Um, politics is, is just bizarre, though. You know, I'm still I'm I'm still you know I guess no press is, there's no such thing as bad press, but uh, you know uh, I don't know if the you know what how much value there really is in in those sorts of things. It was kind of funny the. Uh, the, the Republican one, we usually have no more than like 50 comments. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, followed some of your kind of, you know, I, I'm a big fan of kind of reinventing the message board. I actually did a, a, a prototype for AOL a couple of years ago based upon a lot of your, uh, uh, like your whole treaty on kind of like uh, message board design. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to do that to try to like, you know, uh, you know, put the form all the way at the bottom. Things to kind of like disincentivize having these really just long running, you know, conversations because they just kind of degrade. Right. Um, and on most user voice forums, you know, you never get more than like, you know, 50 comments. Right. And, that, and that's usually a lot. There was 980 comments on the, on the top idea on rebuild the party. Yeah. And it's, it's just not politics clear. and it's just people, it's just people shouting at each other. Right. It's like, there's no, right. there's no discourse there. It's, it's not like clear that there base. is any good way to have a message board with 980 comments. There's one thing which people, no, I think that, not. you know, I mean, you, you knew the Reddit guys and, and, uh, and I think I tried to convince them this, but I'm not really sure if I convinced them. But a lot of times, uh, like if you if you watch Reddit on Friday night, there'll always be a lot of anti-Israeli postings um, by, you know, basically, shall we say, pro-Palestinian, uh, not Reddit members, just people in general. And then they'll right. they'll go on to Palestinian forums or anti-Israeli forums or whatever it may be, and they'll say, hey, everybody go to Reddit and vote this thing. Just click here. Just click here. And it's not native Reddit people. It's a, just sort of a swarm of pro-Palestinian people, and the Israelis are doing the exact same thing. The only difference is that on Friday night, Saturday morning, the Israelis are all in synagogue and they're not allowed to use their computer because it's Sabbath, or at least the religious Jewish Israelis. And so suddenly the balance is broken, and the Palestinians, <laughs> the, all, the, all the anti-Israeli things sort of float to the top in Reddit for the first time. But what it's I think... Like a, and it, and it actually it's makes an internet you, pet offensive. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't know if they're actually timing this and they're specifically doing it on you know, the Jewish Sabbath so as to reduce the number of people that will vote against them, or uh, if that's just a coincidence of, you know, suddenly these things tend to rise to the top on Saturday when there's there's no Orthodox Jews voting against them. But um, what I actually f- f- believe is that 
when you do something strongly political, you get a lot of visitors coming in that are not actually your native audience. So it's not like the average Redditor is anti-Israeli or pro-Ron Paul or anything like that. It's just that those particular political issues include, you know, th those are communities that are these mass roving communities that have their own places on the internet. And they'll say, oh, quick, go vote in this poll here and then go click on that and go, go vote for this here and vote that up on Zig right now. And right. Uh, so they sort of swarm in and kind of overwhelm any, uh, any native community that may be behind and, and make it look like a... Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened with the Ron Paul and then the FARC people. And, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you, all you can do is kind of let them have their day. And then I think the next day we did the truck nuts thing and you just move on, right? There's, there's really not... Yeah. Fighting that battle is usually not, not worth it. You just kind of, all right, have your kind of your, your little victory there. And, and well, as, long as, as long as the, the, the native participants recognize that those aren't the same people voting up those stories, yeah, that are those, those politically charged issues... Whatever the whatever right. the political charges, you just have to understand that those people voting on those politically charged issues, that's not the actual Reddit community, so to speak. You know, some right. of it is, but some of it is some of it is a is a visiting. Uh, but isn't the political stuff usually sort of kept in its own area? I mean, you try to bottle it and contain it so that it doesn't. Yeah, I think spill they have over some, and... some capability of doing that now. Yeah, but certainly on Reddit, some of them... that's true. I mean, I would I would not even consider clicking on the political reddit but some I mean, of the I, politics I things, reading, yeah some of them do go on the, do show up on the home page i see yeah because i mean political stuff man it's just it's kind of a no-win scenario a lot of times and i try not to even yeah. go there if i can avoid it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah don't go there one, one thing i wanted to compliment user voice on and, and early on uh user voice was very influential in my thinking in terms of how i wanted uh stack overflows ui to work and i want to really compliment you like i really like the user voice UI, not that it's perfect, but it, we really did ape a lot of the things in user voice because I liked them, like your tab structure and the little notification bar at the top of the screen when you come there for the first time. Um, and you're you're historically a UI guy, is that what you said? Uh, yeah, I, I would say a converted UI guy. Um, UI is kind of like this intersection of the two churches of design and dev, I feel. Um, but yeah, I, I consider myself one of those. One of those cast-offs. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it really works from a UI perspective. I mean, I found it very appealing and very easy to get started. And uh, imitation is always the sincerest form of flattery. Now, to Joel's earlier point about going through a lot of this information, like, I actually do. I've kind of fallen off the wagon recently. But I, I actually go through pretty much every user voice request that comes in. And, and you're right. Like, 90% of the time, they're not really telling you anything useful. I mean, they're trying to, but it just it doesn't work for a variety of reasons. Like, A, you've seen it. It's a duplicate, but they didn't know that. Even though you guys have a built-in search and all that stuff, they still do it, obviously. Um, or, you know, it, it's just not really helpful or interesting. But what I find with user voices, the reason I have to go through every single entry that comes in is about 10, 5 to 10% of the time, you'll get some really good suggestions that you hadn't thought of. It's rare. It's definitely rare. But it makes reading those other 20... Uh, user voice items worth it because that one actually does influence your thinking. Now, to your point, Joel, it's not usually some massive generational feature of like, oh, you should do Monte Carlo simulations uh, to determine when the product's going to ship. But it'll be like some really nice tweak to the UI that you really didn't think of. That after reading it, you're like, wow, that's we totally should have been doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so. You know, I, I just want to make sure there's a conduit for people to get that information to me because they're essentially developing the product for me or improving it for me. Um, and our team is really small, so there's a limit to what we can just sit around and dream up uh, on our own. So it helps to have sort of an influx of just random fresh ideas as long as you can afford the cognitive burden of, you know, going through all of them. Um, that's yeah. definitely one, one way I use user voice. I, I love your usage of the decline status, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, we put it up there for a while ago. And, you know, a lot of people are like, a little hesitant to touch that, right? If we had kind of like a, a hierarchy of, you know, how transparent are you with your users? Most people aren't transparent enough to actually say, I'm going to decline what you say. Um, actually, I've got the numbers. You, you've declined 48% of the ideas on there, which I think is awesome, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, versus uh, we've only declined 3%, and Joel, the, the co-pilot the co site only has declined 5%. So um, it, I, think that, yeah, I think that's a good thing that shows you're actually like, like you said. Those co-pilot guys, they're not going to do anything. Forget it. <laughs> 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 you, you just assume that it's declined. 
Well, you, you joke? Well, no, no, I do want to talk about this because I actually talked to the Microsoft guys about this. I actually met with the CodePlex people at PDC, and we actually had this conversation because CodePlex, I don't know if you guys have been there, has a similar sort of voting sort of methodology to their suggestions. And they actually end up, it's, it's very user voice-like. It's not the user voice UI, but it's very similar. And we were, we were sort of contrasting that with, have you guys ever heard of Microsoft Connect? It's like their external bug tracking system where, say you have a problem in Visual Studio. You could go in and actually enter a bug on Connect about the problem that you're having. And of course you need a repro. And, and they actually do look at this stuff. But the running joke with Connect is that you'll enter a bug that is legitimately a bug. I mean, you can have a repro, I mean, the whole nine yards, yeah. and nothing will happen with it for years. Like, people will come in and look at it and say verified or not verified pretty quickly. But then just seemingly nothing happens. Yeah. Like, let me give you a little pet peeve example. Like, in Visual Studio, uh, say you're developing a Windows app, the font that it defaults to is not the system font for Windows. It has some weird algorithm where it picks, like, mono, sans mono or some crazy font that's what? not... You would think it would pick the default for Wait, the what operating you talk, system. What, uh, it's, it's, uh, that's because the, the default for the operating system is extremely complicated. It's actually The not, whole business I mean, about I, when I, to use Tahoma and when to use Lucida and when to use uh, yeah, Verdana. That's right. Verdana, it, well, Verbana. I can point you to blog posts that point out sort of the absurdity of this, but yeah. uh, it's just an example. So just humor me and pretend, pretend like it's a valid example. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> so you'll enter a bug, and it'll sit there for years. Somebody will verify. It's all verified. And then eventually, like literally years later, it'll get changed to won't fix. And then you're like, well, why did I have to wait four years or three years to figure out that you're not going to do anything? Well, you Wouldn't had you to wait for that, that intern, that summer intern whose entire project <laughs> was going through and won't fixing all of the bugs. Yeah. I mean, so how is that actually better? So letting people just enter stuff and letting it languish, how is yeah. that better than, than telling them up front, look, we're probably not going to do this? No, I right? think you're right. Just to say, look, we're probably not going to do this. That's... Uh, that's, I think that's, that's very nice. I yeah. invited Richard to find uh, an item on user voice or Stack Overflow that he wanted us to talk about as well. Cool. I don't know if you did that, Richard. Uh, I looked through some of them, but uh, I don't have any great ones. Actually, I was going to talk about your, your reputation stuff, but that's going to be a really long... The ones uh, we we can't talk about our reputation yeah. stuff. This bores the hell out of people. We can't talk about that anymore. <laughs> See, yeah. that fascinates me. But we've right. already, yeah, we've we, already we can talk about that, that offline, no problem. Deeply into the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, here, let me play a, a, a user question. Hi, guys. This is Chris Conway. I'm a graduate student uh, in New York City. I really enjoyed the podcast and, uh, and also enjoyed using stackoverflow.com. Uh, but I'm kind of wondering, after 26 episodes of the podcast and sort of nearly endless discussion of uh, sort of navel-gazing and, and how to tinker <laughs> oh, with the, pain. the uh, regulation of the reputation economy, if you're ever going to sort of take a turn on the podcast to uh, less self-reflexive discussion, and we are right now, and we're going to take that. Sort of we're going to wait. To stop! Shut up! Screech, screeching vinyl sound, cutting off Chris. Because <laughs> right now we're taking that left turn, and, I, and and Jeff and I have talked about this, so maybe we should tell uh, our, our listeners is that uh, is that uh, you know one one of the things that we're going to do a lot more of on this side, a lot less talking about the design of Stack Overflow because that's done. And a lot more talking about things that are actually on Stack Overflow, which are just sort of generic, generically interesting programming questions. And uh, I think the the new rule for for Stack Overflow podcasts is that uh, everybody on the show has to come up with one question from Stack Overflow that they want to talk about. Just pick something right. random. Um, so here's mine. Uh, let's pick one. Here, here's one about reputation. <laughs> oh, <Just> awesome! <laughs> <laughs> what are what's a good algorithm for reputation on uh, social? Uh, no, here's one. Um, actually, there's there's a there's a surprising number that is the same. What tricks do you use to get yourself in the zone? And it's a, now a community question. What does that mean? A community question means it was edited by a lot of people, and it's now kind of well. A, there's a couple of things you can opt in to community at the start, um, right? And I can't even figure but, out who originally wrote this, can I? Uh, you can click on the revision history, which is the date where it says oh, edited and yeah. the date. Click on that. Yeah, so this was, uh, this was originally asked by, I don't know. Drum roll. How do I? Is it like the one that says seven? That's the oldest? That's the oldest. The one that says one is the original revision. Oh, the original revision. So it's uh, originally by Tim J. Yeah. 
but uh, well, it's been uh, it, this a is lot. a pretty open-ended question. It's appropriate to ask on Stack Overflow because it's you know it's a programming question. It um, is, and it's sort of the be... number one reason why people don't get anything done is because they're just playing around on the internet and they just can't get started with an actual programming task. It's the uh, how do I get my editor to open my web browser to close problem. <laughs> Well, I find that if well, – here's what works for me, and I'll talk a little bit. To me, writing a blog post and writing a program feel similar. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of you, – you glom on to some meaty part of the problem. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be the beginning of the problem. It doesn't have to be the end of the problem. Just some interesting little part of the problem. Um, and you start working on that, and that sort of spools you in and draws you into the rest of the code, and it makes you want to flesh out the stuff around it. And this is one thing I tell people who get stuck is like, I don't know where to begin. It's like, well, start anywhere. I mean, it's kind of a glib response. Like, well, start anywhere, but start like where your heart leads you. Like if, if there's something algorithmic, uh, like let me use Stack Overflow as an example. One thing I knew that was going to be really hard on Stack Overflow was dealing with editing HTML. <laughs> right, right. Uh, because we wanted to have really rich editing capabilities, but that's a double-edged sword because of like For all sure. the exploits and stuff. So that's where I started, and it's a super rich area because you learn about cross-site scripting exploits, you learn about parsing HTML, which is really hard, and it just leads to a lot of interesting places. So you're um, saying you might as well start with something that's interesting and fun. Well, not necessarily interesting and fun, but something that intrigues you, something that leads you down the path, right, mm-hmm. that you can actually get excited about. And then that's your gateway drug to the rest of the problem. Mm-hmm. That's how I. That's a that's a good way of thinking. Even if um, like I've had a lot of success with just biting off a very small chunk. So you say to yourself, "All right, this is a big problem. I'm not going to be able to do all this today, but I could at least, you know, find the spec for what I'm going to do, and open it in my browser, <laughs> or at least uh, I don't know, at least uh, you know, boot up my." At least I could you know, open the project in Visual Studio or, or whatever it is. You just pick some very, very small piece of that and just kind of sure. commit to just doing that. And that usually, leads me into, uh, that usually leads me into doing what needs to be done. Right. Like sometimes using, again, blog posting example, I'll go collect images for a blog post. Mm-hmm. And that helps me get started. Like I know I'm going to need relevant images for the blog post. Yeah. I'll do some research on the images. And it's images is fun, right? It's easy and fun, and I, I at least have a start. I can point to a shell blog post that has images. Yeah, I start with fun. I have to pick some. I have like a list of things that are like things I want desperately to do that are nowhere near the top of our stack of important things. Mm-hmm. And it's my guilty pleasure to get me into the app, right? Oh. and then I'm in there. I'm like, oh, wait, okay, is this a real I'm list? Like, is this uh, you got this in Notepad or a text file or? Oh, we- I use something called Todoist, but yeah, it's a classic like just to-do list of, of things. Mm-hmm. And there's like, here's the things, you know, it's, we're all, I think, eating our own dog food, right? So it's just like, these are the things I just want because they're cool. And they're usually, for me, I'm a, I'm a stats guy, so it's usually like writing so much your stats. Like the stats I wrote this morning to figure out what percentage of things were declined and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have to, I need gateway drugs, basically. <laughs> well, plus Richard, you know, they code in Ruby, so they're already having more fun than we are. Because oh, you guys, do you really? Ruby? Yeah, we're Rails. Ruby on Rails. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone doesn't do that now? What do you mean? I thought <laughs> all the cool kids did or something. Yeah, all the cool people. It almost writes it. itself, you know? It almost it crashes itself, too. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, you joke about that, but you said that your app is what, like, how many lines of code? 6,000? Uh, not quite. 5,500, I think. Right. That doesn't include, like, plugins and, and stuff that's, like, in the vendor directory. But, yeah, the meat of it. And that's also about half test code. So. Wow. So half of that is test cases. That's definitely not true for the Stack Overflow code. <laughs> we have what? No. 90, 99.1. <laughs> what, percent, yeah. what percentage of Stack Overflow is test code? Pretty much. Yeah, we, we've kind of fallen off zero. the test-driven wagon a little bit. But we, we do plan to get back on when Jared – hopefully Jared can be full-time in January. That's the current plan, and that's something he wants to focus on. Oh, don't confuse me with one of those like crazy TDD Rails guys because we're definitely not that. We just we we smoke test the crap out of certain things like APIs and really high level stuff, and then we're really bad about really. Our coverage isn't nearly as good as our like you know our, our ratio of test to to uh, test to real code. So, um, well, the impression I got with with Ruby is that you kind of have to do it because you know it's dynamically typed, so the compiler the compiler does not catch really- anything. It's not going to catch anything. So you have to write tests because otherwise you like, literally have no idea if your code's going to work until you deploy it, which 
to be fair, is, is true of, I think, any code. I mean, there's all kinds of bugs you can have that have nothing to do with the compiler, but there's not even the compiler safety blanket, which is what some people refer to it, right? Yeah, like, speaking you can assign of, a string yeah. to an integer or something like that. Yeah. We, we have the, 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 highly, the highly engaged user test as well. Um, <laughs> That's kind of what we do on Stack Overflow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, wow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, Joel might be horrified by this, but we do things, yeah, as some people call it, very fast and loose sometimes. It's just like, you know, roll things out. Just, I think the good thing about like, Ruby and Capistrano stuff and all the, the emphasis on having really good deployment tools is that it's really easy to, like, oops, um, and, and take care of those things, at least at the phase we're, we're in right now. Yeah, it's really a matter of the phase. It's really like your first, first phase, you don't have a humongous number of users. They're pretty sympathetic. Your early adopter yep. users, no matter what their product is, your early adopter users are precisely early adopters because they're so desperately in need of the functionality you're giving them, and they'll yep. forgive an awful lot. Uh, so it, it really becomes different when you start to have established users. They've got all kinds of things. They're depending on you every single morning to come in and have that thing work because, you know, it's now a, such a crucial part of their life. And that's a much, that's sort of a later phase when you kind of need that right. higher level. We, we just started signing up our first paying, a few paying customers. So that, that phase might be coming to an, a close sometime soon. So it will be missed. It will be missed. Certainly. Wait, why, why do people pay? Again, what, what, oh, um, what do they get if they have kind of like it's we have kind of like this stealthy like enterprise thing we're about to launch. It's just integration stuff, the, okay. some single sign on things, custom design, API access, all the kind of the integration, moderation, all the things you can imagine that are absolute blockers for larger companies to use something like this. So this would be for a company um, that wants to use it to communicate with their customer, their customers externally, right? Kind of like a, think of like a, a completely white label version of user hoist right, that's right, integrated right. with your stuff. Yep. Cool. So. Got to make money in this economy, right? In this market, you got to got to get there quick, too. <laughs> right. Well, I think that would definitely work because uh, almost every week, literally, I get requests. Oh, we'd like a branded version of Stack Overflow. We really like label. the system, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So yeah, we always turn that one down. Yeah, we, we haven't really we haven't really <laughs> been able to go down that path for a variety of reasons. But I can see. I mean, I can it's just a viable see, um, business model. Homestar Runner. It's not Homestar Runner, right? Who's the guy? The Mexican, the the boxer, the Mexican. Boxing. Yeah, that's the guy. That's Homestar Runner? Homestar. No, Homestar Runner is that skinny Strong guy bad. without arms. Strong, Strong Bad, bad. yes. Strong Bad. Yeah, I can just bad. see Strong Bad saying, declined. <laughs> Except he <laughs> said, deleted. Yeah. Uh, okay, another question from Stack Overflow. Jeff, you want to come up with one? Well, actually, I have one because oh, I cool. did a whole blog post recently on the whole NP complete thing. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. And there's actually quite a bit of action around NP complete on Stack Overflow. Like, like I'm looking at one that says, what is an NP complete problem and why is it such an com- important topic in computer science? Oh, that's, um, a good, that's a good Stack Overflow question. Very canonical. Yeah, it is. And I think the thing I struggled with on my blog is um, I try to be concise and sometimes my conciseness gets the better of me because I'll summarize like an idea in a sentence that I probably should have given like two paragraphs <laughs> to explain what I was thinking and what I was actually trying to say. Mm-hmm. And people really objected in the post that I made to the statement that nobody really knows what an NP-complete problem is. And that is techn- the way I said it is kind of wrong. <laughs> but let me be clear about my thinking here is that what I was referring to is the P equals NP problem, which is so a little bit of background on this. So so NP complete basically means nobody has a good algorithm for solving this problem. Like uh, other than exhaustive case, search and it's and it's um and it's gonna grow geometrically. Yeah. It yeah. takes forever. Like the only good solution yeah. the smartest people in computer science can come up with is to you know, try every possible solution. Um so, so that's yeah, and it's, it has to be combinatorial. So it has to be like there's n factorial possible solutions. So whatever algorithm you come up with is going to work for five cases, you know, for for five inputs, but not for twenty five. Right, right. And and the thing I was trying to say poorly is that the reason we call them NP complete is nobody has proven that they can solve it in polynomial time. In other words, nobody has and our, our brightest minds in computer science, nobody can come up with a better algorithm than you know like you know, n factorial or even n cubed for a lot of times is pretty bad, right? I mean, if n cubed is the best <laughs> solution we can come up with. Yeah, but that's not that? np complete. That's still not. Yeah, that's, yeah. So it becomes a definition. polynomial. Thing. Yeah, no, yeah. So what I was really trying to say is that, you know, it, it's this weird sort of definition where you just throw a bunch of smart people at it and they all agree, yep, 
it's MP complete. And there's there's nothing that's saying that another super smart person couldn't come up and say, you know what, I can solve this in n squared. Well, there I mean, kind of is because they've you, what what you've proven is that if they if, what you prove to prove that something is NP complete is you say if you could solve this problem, then you would also be able to solve every single one of these other problems that have all been called NP complete in the last polynomial time. So that would be pretty friggin' awesome. But I think I, I don't think you're going to do it. So just just forget it. <laughs> It's not right. like it's not like we're waiting for the proof to Fermat's last theorem or something like that. Right. So it's just one of the things that's proven by exclusion. It's uh, no. It's you. Pr- you prove that if you can solve, you almost always prove if you could solve this problem, then you would also be able to solve that problem. And we know you can't solve that problem. Right. Like if you if but you had an point. algorithm, if you had an algorithm for the knapsack problem, then I could use your algorithm for the knapsack problem. Let's say you had an, You told me that you had a n log n algorithm for the knapsack problem, then I could use it to solve the traveling salesman problem. I could use your algorithm to solve the traveling salesman problem because that's because all all the NP complete problems are all interchangeable basically. Yeah, they're all equivalent. Yeah, I get that. But there's a recursiveness to that definition that I that I have difficulty with, right? Like if you can solve this one, you can solve them all. And I realize they're reducible, right? They're similar problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it sort of a non definition on some level. Um, it's useful because you're basically defining extremely difficult problems in computer science that sort of, you're on the edge of computability where these problems really just aren't amenable to being solved with computers, right? <laughs> I mean, you can verify the solution. Okay, I see why you got in trouble here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, 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 uh, for, first of all, they are amenable to, to there, there are often shortcuts that shortcuts. get you sure. what may not be the best answer, but you get something that's pretty darn good. Right, right. But, but again, with a computer, you're, you're typically used to getting the best possible answer. A computer gives you – there's not, nothing in Excel that gives me a formula that's kind of correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always correct, right? I mean, you're doing math. So computers are math, you know, made, you know, circuitry. So I, I think that's the, that's the intriguing thing to me about them. Okay. So wait, where do we where do we, where do we go with this? Where do we go? Well, I basically I just want to talk here? about it, and oh, I okay. wanted to illustrate that actually there's a really good discussion about this on uh, Stack Overflow because I was using Wikipedia, and to be honest with you, <laughs> what I found on Wikipedia with NP complete and NP hard, yeah. there's actually a, an actual sentence in the Wikipedia article that says, um, the the NP naming uh, convention is confusing. Mm-hmm. That's actually codified in the Wikipedia entry because there's like NP hard. There's like all these variants of the terms right. that I found very perplexing, and that actually reading through the discussion on Stack Overflow is, I think, in some ways more illuminating than the Wikipedia entry. Which you know, people always say, "Well, why post things that are on Wikipedia? Just go to Wikipedia and look it up." And I think I've, what I'm trying to say is that the way some people explain things is actually to me clearer. Than, than what's on Wikipedia a lot of times. You know, there's a, harder, there's a harder class of problems than the NP class that are even harder to solve with a computer. There's another NP name for that, and I can't remember. Well, there's the, there's, there's the problems that are the equivalent of the halting problem. Uh, and so the halting problem is, given a, an arbitrary program X, will the computer ever get to the end statement at the end of that program for an arbitrary program X? Mm-hmm. And the trouble is, uh, and, and, and the halting problem is... You know, is th- th- there's a there's a proof that you can't figure that out even in NP time. It might take until the end of the universe uh, to figure that out. You know, even if you had infinite computing resources, you might still not know if the program is going to end in infinity plus one time. Like, you know, maybe it's just there's some really slow calculation that's going on there, and eventually it will halt. And right. uh, so there so there is actually a class, of, and that that's kind of an interesting one because. Um, all kinds of things can be shown to be equivalent to the halting program. Like, what, like will code ever get to this particular line uh, is equivalent. So you can't, for, 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 an, for an arbitrary body of source code, you can't actually correctly determine statically through static analysis whether or not a particular line of code can be reached for, any, for, for an arbitrary program. You, can, you may be able to figure it out for many existing programs. For a particular program, you may be able to find out if a particular line of code will ever be reached. But uh, but you can't do that for, for, for arbitrary programs. So that's even harder than NP complete. Right. And I, I think y- you started talking about the approximation and the heuristics. And I think right. those are really interesting, too, because you're, you're taking these really difficult 
theoretically unsolvable problems and just coming up with these really clever hacks, basically, to get around them. And or, I mean, it, a lot of the times it may be something where, you know, it's like, yeah, there may be a slightly better way of doing this, but not in our planet, not on our planet. You know, like there may be, there may be reasonable, it may be reasonable to assume certain things about the actual world. And then I wonder, too, is like, have I ever really attacked an NP-complete problem in my actual programming? I mean, I, it's, inter- it's definitely good to know about it because, again, we're skirting the edge of computability. Like, I think it's useful for a working programmer to know these are the hardest, programs in, hardest problems in computer science algorithmically. And you should probably know if you do happen to run into one, you should probably be able to recognize it. So yeah. that's kind of what I was getting at with my blog post. The, uh, you know, anybody who works on uh, language language tools often hits the halting problem, not the, not necessarily. Like uh, people that do static analysis, like I, I want to be able to analyze uh, the source code uh, of a computer system and tell you that there can never be, for example, uh, a, a deadlock between the threads. Uh, that would be really useful if you could do that kind of analysis. And I just found a Stack Overflow question on the halting problem. It says, when have you ever personally come upon the halting problem in the field? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I actually did because a lot of times, even something as simple as IntelliSense, where uh, the editor – I'm using IntelliSense broadly um, – situations where your, your editor is, is looking at your code without compiling it, without running it, and, and giving you some ideas about something about your code, is trying, trying to tell you something about your code. Uh, you know that that could be a definite instance of the, of the halting problem. Uh, There's some really good responses here. Just to, to piggyback on what you're saying, Jason Cohen says sophisticated static analysis, static code analysis, yeah. can run into halting problem. Right, right, right. If a Java virtual machine is trying to prove that a piece of code will never access an array index out of bounds, it can emit the check and run faster, but it's not always possible, depending on the complexity of the code. Right. To determine if that's true. Right, and you can, and 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 those are all those are all things where you just eventually you say, you know what, I know, I know not to try to solve this problem. <laughs> you could be very much be tempted to just say, ah, if I if I think about it hard enough, I can unwind this loop. I can make a structure of all the possible ways that code can call other code, and all the possible ways that let's say threads can interact with other threads. And then you suddenly realize that if you could solve that, you could solve the halting problem. And you say, okay, wait a minute, that couldn't be right. Don't go down this that. This is funny. End. Check this out. Uh, just some guy says, I literally got assigned the halting problem as in write a <laughs> monitor plug-in to determine whether a host is permanently down. <laughs> yeah. Determine if it's permanently Seriously? down. Seriously? Right. Yeah. So I'll just give it a threshold. No, because it might come come back, come up, back after. up after the threshold. Yeah. Much theoretical exposition ensued. So there you go. <laughs> There's an example of, you know, NP completeness being actually relevant to uh, a working No, program. halting problem. Different than NP completeness. Oh, halting problem. Sorry. Uh, much harder. Much harder. Um, but also still solvable because there are actually uh, static analysis tools that still provide very useful things. I should mention there's something uh, – boy, I wish I knew the name of this thing. But uh, somebody at Microsoft Research has uh, a, like a debugger add-in of some sort where you give it some code, and it will actually find those Heisenbugs for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what this is? We'll look this up wow. later, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I heard it on Scott Hanselman's podcast. Uh, he has a podcast where he went to the Microsoft Professional Developers Conference and walked around and talked to a bunch of the people doing research at Microsoft Research. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them had, um, you know, the, the problem that you have, let's say you write some multi-threaded code, take the simplest possible example, you have two threads and they're running. And, you know, once in a blue moon, you get a crash and you know that there's a crash in there and you just don't know exactly what timing is going to cause it. And there are obviously infinite possible sets of timing for code to, to, to for, 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 for for the code to run like like how the processor allocates time slices to the different threads um you know there are millions and millions of possibilities uh billions right. i mean it's it's well it's mp complete it's not right. quite the halting problem but that's a, that's a classic it's mp complete to be, actually be able to and so there's no reasonable way that you can actually test all possibilities of ways that threads can interact, which makes it very hard to find these kinds of weird bugs where, you know, if this particular timing happens. Um, and, you know, it's just strange. I'm, I'm reading through this as, I, as I'm listening, and I really should have started on Stack Overflow with my research on some of this stuff. I mean, I guess it's a testament to the, the community, but I don't know. I did not find the Wikipedia articles particularly illuminating. On they're, the yeah, they're very, uh, they're very computer science, encyclopedia of computer science-y. 
Yeah, and they're just not full of like useful. practical examples that I, as a working programmer, I can point to and say, okay, I know what you're talking about. And so to go just, on with this threading, this threading thing, you've got these two threads running, and they actually, that is definitely ANP complete, but what they said is they said, you know what, chances are if you're having a crash, it's uh, two particular, um, it, 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 there's a single, you know, let's just start with all the different possibilities for when the computer can decide to switch from task A to task B. And let's just mm -hmm. test all those because it's actually almost always you'll find the majority of these bugs are going to be in a fairly simple situation of just a particular task switch happened at this from from one thread to another at, on this particular instruction, and then then you only have to investigate all possible instructions dur during which a task switch might happen. You don't actually right. have to consider every possibility of scheduling all possible threads. You will probably uncover most of your bugs just by trying every possible time to see if you can do a time switch. And there's certain ways to even create, to figure out what the barriers are like. You know, well, you know here are all the places in, in thread A and here are all the places in thread B that are accessing the same state. And so let's make sure that we've tried um, task switching in every possible side of each of these state accesses. And that's all you really have to do to probably reproduce a bug. Right. So, I remember reading, the, I actually paged through the, they have a giant list on Wikipedia of like every possible NP complete problem. And I remember task switching was one of them. Mm -hmm. So, but that's interesting though, that you can actually, you could solve these problems in a pretty good way by exploring the much larger uh, problem space. Well, the, sorry, the much smaller problem space. There are always substantially smaller problem spaces that in which your solution might might well be found and that's one way you can usually go about attacking many of these kind of problems and what's interesting is there are other problems that are not quote-unquote computable like handwriting recognition that have nothing to do with computer science like there's absolutely no theoretical reason why handwriting recognition couldn't work it just doesn't right yeah well th i think that was the other thing people remarked is that you know there's a lot of really hard problems that aren't necessarily np complete and why do we have this arbitrary distinction between, okay, this is an MP-complete problem, so it gets a special designation. Right. And we haven't been able to solve handwriting recognition either. That's super hard, isn't it? So. Yeah. I, I guess know. the best it way is... to describe NP-complete problems is, and this, isn't, this is just really in, like intuitive and not computer science-y, but a lot of times the, when the problem is I need to find the optimal way to, to organize things, to arrange things and they can be arranged in any arbitrary way, and I need to find the best way to arrange them, then right. su surprisingly, you know, if, when you start to hear that, you might start to worry about, uh-oh, this might be NP-complete. And then you might actually try going through the effort of trying to see if it is NP-complete by doing the little proof and seeing if it's the same as an AppSec problem or whatever. And, then, and, and once you determine that it is, then you know not to try to brute force it. Well, do you know the XKCD cartoon, the one about the, the menu items? They're looking at the appetizers on a on a on a menu. Oh. And they challenge the waiter. Okay, give us five appetizers that add up to fifteen dollars <laughs> five cents exactly. Right, right, right. Like get back to us when you when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay, what else should we but do on our podcast? Well, I think we're probably at the limit now. We uh, no, there was a lot of talking at the beginning that didn't really. Uh, we could probably go another five ten minutes. Okay. Well. Uh, Richard, did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up? Interject. I, I'm just glad I got through that. We, we, we skipped past the open ID thing, so I'm safe. Uh, I got nothing, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm spent. Can we, can we commit publicly to open ID on uh, <laughs> user voice on this podcast? Is that what I'm hearing? That's what I heard. Is that what you heard? That, that probably gets edited out, right? No. We, I had a call with the, the generating guys like an hour ago. So, awesome. uh, Just for you. That's awesome. Well, a little bit of background. So remember how, Joel, we were wondering, well, how does MyOpenID make money? <laughs> remember that question? Uh, well, we now know the answer to that question. Oh, good. They have service uh, RPX Now. Uh, is that the correct name, Richard? Hi, boys. Yes. Yeah, RPX Now. And it's a, it's a pay service that basically greatly eases the implementation of OpenID. On so any if given you want to be website. an OpenID provider, you pay them. Is that what you're saying? I don't know if you're if you a provider. Want your accounts to be. I don't know. You want to be a consumer, actually. Even a consumer is. Uh, yeah, I think it's just you're a consumer, but it's like super, super user friendly. Like they really nailed the user experience. 
And oh. Scott Hanselman had a lot of really positive things to say I'm about confused. this as I'm well. What kind of consumer even knows what OpenID is, let alone is going to use well, this? That, that's, that's my point. With RPX now, like, they don't have to think about it. Like, they just click on the Facebook icon, and then they just log in. You know, it becomes oh. magic at that point. So do the consumers have to pay to be able to click on the Facebook? I'm so confused. No, no, no. no. Somebody the, the explain site, to me. We would pay. Yeah. User wants to pay. The consumer in this in this scenario is the, the consumer open ID, which is the the, the site. Right? Like user voice paid would pay them to be able to have it have an actual usable open ID experience, right? Oh, so they have a bad and, open ID experience for everyone else. Wait, right. why can't? Isn't this just like? A, <laughs> sorry, isn't this just a GUI widget that anybody can make, and then there will be some open source one, and everybody will use the nice open source GUI widget, and problem solved. I would assume eventually, once there's actually some convergence around, like. What the an actual market leader in the space as far as you know is it Google's Open ID or is it so and so's Open ID or I don't know. Um, I'm more than happy with Jeff and I had this discussion. We're just a little weary of you know third party people being intermediaries. I'm actually totally opposite. I'm more than happy to let someone else. This is like such a like a temporal problem to me of like for the next few years it's going to be a mess. I'm more than happy to give someone else this mess and say solve it. Right. No, and and to their credit, I mean my Open ID is sort I'm just of a getting- shining example. Of what, doing it right. Why so is I it a totally service and not code? Why is it a service and not code? Um, they, they do have OpenID libraries you can use as well. Um, it's just, I don't know. Everything's a service, Joel. Come on. I'm so confused. <laughs> Bugs is a service, man. What are you talking about? Everything is a service. Okay. Every, every brand new thing. Yeah, I mean, you I sell dog bugs both ways, right? Why can't my OpenID sell this RPX now both ways? Okay. I, 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 uh, all right. <laughs> I don't, it's too complicated. I don't understand it. I, don't understand. Yeah. I barely even understand yeah. OpenID. Yeah. So Jan Rain had contacted me because we're a big OpenID client, and uh, I had done some publicity for them, and they offered us a free trial of this RPX Plus, RPX Now Plus. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked them to transfer it to User Voice because, you know, that's one of our big wishes. And actually, if you go to uservoice.uservoice.com, a little bit of recursion there for you. <laughs> Is there a uservoice.uservoice.uservoice.com yes, where you can vote for is. things I've, that go on? I've sent people there many times. That's and, our team. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is the number two most requested feature, uh, open ID user authentication. So anything we can do to help and make that easier and get that done is awesome. So I'm, I'm encouraged and, and well, looking forward to the results. Luckily, you're, apparently that, that freebie you got is not bind on pickup. So it looks like it does transfer. So <laughs> we'll be in that. Nice. Little World of Warcraft. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Tonight. Little shout out to my friends there. There you go. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I hope that'll be coming soon. We've been trying to do that for forever. It, I I have such mixed emotions about OpenID, and that's such a that's another third rail, another religious thing that I'm sure nobody wants to hear. And we talked about this before. It's like you know that's the same discussion every single time. So right, um, either love it or you hate it, and it becomes a little religious. But uh, I think having it as an option. I mean, one thing people object to on Stack Overflow is it's the only option. I think people find it less offensive. The people that react negatively to it found, find it less offensive if they can, you know, do the old thing that they're used to and mm-hmm. have the Let status quo alongside yeah. something that's actually better than the status quo. Right, right. <laughs> so and I think that's what you guys would probably do anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, as a UI guy, I just see open my, 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 all my, my, all my criticism of open ID is all about user experience, right? It's like Joel said, who, did, who even knows what it is? And I think it's funny that the people that have been most successful with it recently have like not even told you that's OpenID. Right? It's, it's like a right. bad brand at this point. Um, so, yeah. 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 Well, hopefully the RPX now can help. And like yeah. I said, I, I totally agree. UI is hugely important, and many companies have really dropped the ball on this, notably Yahoo. Not to mention names, but Yahoo. Yeah, and Google, which pretended to be doing OpenID and wasn't. They, they changed that. They're actually now doing the real OpenID. Oh, really? Like just in the week since they announced that, yeah. No, there was a lot of there was a big hue and outcry, and they changed direction. Yay! Yeah. So good guys win. Awesome. Don't be evil yet again. <laughs> All right. Don't be overtly evil. Yeah. Don't be overtly evil. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be evil in a way that people can see. See, that's yeah. how I. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're probably at the limit now. We are pretty much at the end of our weekly podcast. You've been listening to Stack Overflow. Podcast number 30, special guest star Richard White from uservoice.com. Um, you can visit his website at uservoice.com. 
<laughs> or uservoice.uservoice.com. Or uservoice. It's a never-ending hole. Do you have a, a, a blog or or a, or a, you know any anything you want to plug like a like a place for to find you on the internet? Um, I used to blog at height1percent.com, which is don't ever name your blog after like a CSS trick. That's just a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I don't really write that much. I also uh, Twitter. I'll plug another project. Which yeah, Twitter rr white. So r white. That's right. R, two R's and a white. Two R's and, and a white, the color. Yeah, yeah. Not the aisle. Um, yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wiki. We, we have a wiki of our show where people are invited to um, write down transcripts uh, of this show uh, to transcribe um, the show for the hearing impaired. And that is uh, um, always linked to from the show notes at blog.stackoverflow.com. We need some uh, listener calls. I have a couple. We didn't get any listener calls in the last week, so this is ghastly. Um, so, listeners, please call. Uh, this is done by uh, either calling uh, our phone number, 646-826-3879, and that's the Stack Overflow podcast hotline. And you can call that number, record a message, and we'll play it on a future show, or you can just record an MP3 or Ogvorbis file and email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. See you next week. See you next week. And thanks, Richard. Thank you. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.